The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to 1874, The Athletic's podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. It's the morning after the night before. We've got two games to go through. The Crystal Palace win on Saturday and a plucky defeat against Manchester City at Villa Park last night. Joined as ever by Holly and Greg is back from his week off. Greg, you haven't seen, heard of you for a while. Impressive from Stephen Gerrard so far, hasn't it been? I don't think I had a week off. It certainly didn't feel like I did. You weren't on a podcast, if I recall. Yeah, I missed a podcast, didn't I? But I definitely didn't miss a week at work because I'm still... Busy. I assumed you had another week I'm off. I'm still knackered, so I know I haven't had any time off. But <laughs> um, yeah, Stephen Gerrard's been really impressive. I think the, the first two performances were, were decent. The first two results were fantastic. Um, and last night's game against Man City, there were also some positive signs. And I'm really enjoying interactions with him as well. You know, he's great in press conferences, very open, very honest. Um, and answering questions in a lot more detail than, than Dean Smith was towards the end. So, yeah, positive signs at the moment. Holly, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Still happy, Holly, I feel like, even though after the defeat last night, so can't complain too much. Yeah, we kind of reverted to type last night, losing under your watch, Holly, even though you're not the manager and it's absolutely nothing to do with you. You're not on the pitch. Let's talk about the Crystal Palace game on Saturday first then. Greg, you were there just like me. An organised, efficient performance, I would say, from Aston Villa Football Club and a great away win. One, one actually one of my favourite away days. If we ever do a top three on, on away games, I'll probably stick this one in there because it was a really good away performance and I, I don't often see good away performances. Well, hold on a minute. First of all, let's uh, let's get let's get onto the menu that was in the posh sheets, please, down at Sellers Park. Can you, can you talk us through your experience before I share mine? Yeah, I was lucky enough to be in a, in the director's box on Saturday and it was very, very nice. Great Crystal Palace, good hosts, good hospitality, good service, very, very attentive, I would say. And as I say, the menu was very nice for me. I'm vegetarian, not a lot. I, I, I can eat sometimes at these things, but macaroni and cheese was put on. It was very, very nice. I enjoyed it. It really started the day off on a high and then it just carried on getting better from there, really. And any tips for our listeners who would, you know, strive to get into the director's box at away games um just work hard that, that, would, that would always be my advice work hard greg you know i'm a hard worker i sense you're getting a bit uncomfortable with this conversation so we'll uh we'll, we'll move on to some real talk shall we i mean i'm sure it'll get edited out so we'll be okay <laughs> but yeah tell not. me but tell me about the game tell me about the game look it was impressive wasn't it i think Yes, I think Villa went back to not not necessarily back to basics. I think they just became a little bit harder to beat. Um, I wrote at length after the game uh, about the, the patterns of play that they've been working on in the week. Um, I also noticed a couple of patterns of play they were they were trying to trying to perfect in the warm up before the game, and and it felt like Villa were trying to attack through central positions. Um, they they sort of blocked off. All, all the all the middle of the pitch really, and owned that middle of the pitch, and didn't let Crystal Palace play through them. They allowed them to have the width, but Crystal Palace didn't expose them. I thought Zaha was quite quiet, and and Villa were very very good going forward. I thought that the front five players almost with um, Young, Watkins, and Baylor, um, and then Ramsey and, and and McGinn contributing behind. I thought the five of them interchanged really well. Uh, created lots of opportunities and went and got a good win. I thought it was a really impressive display. 
yeah, I've got to, I've got to say about the Ashley Young shout. You haven't obviously been on yet. You made that shout in the podcast a few weeks ago about Ashley Young perhaps playing further forward, and Holly laughed it off. I agreed that it could possibly happen. Holly absolutely laughed it off. But how does it feel? There was a few comments on Twitter as well saying you're mad, Greg. Thought you were mad, but fair play. You seem to know what you do. Well, yeah, believe it or not, I tend to write and talk about the things that are, that are actually told to me from the club. So um, I'll try and give as much insight as possible. Sometimes they might sound uh, like they're outlandish claims, but yeah, th- this one was uh, obviously prove, uh, proven. Uh, in all the games Young's played, I think I think Filler have actually looked better every time Ashley Young's been on the pitch. And yeah, same last night. It's interesting, isn't it? Because he came off the bench last night and I thought Villa were better, so... Um, yeah, clearly Stephen Gerrard likes him and, and clearly Young has got, got a part to play this year. I'm starting to think Stephen Gerrard might be a distant relative of yours with the information that you're getting, but we'll find out more in a few weeks. Holly, Greg talks about that shape and it's encouraging that already you can see how much work has gone in at training in a short space of time. He hasn't had loads of time with the players, Stephen Gerrard, but that, that stuff that Greg talks about is really, really important because they did block off the middle of the pitch. Even the two playing behind the striker, they defended so, so narrow. And it is almost back to basics, but it's what Villa needed to do because the basics of defending weren't there in the weeks leading up to Dean Smith's departure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when uh, Villa kind of came back out after Project Restart, you could tell the main focus under Dean Smith was to just be more defensively solid. And Steven Gerrard's come in and made that his main aim as well. And he's obviously already shown good success in that. I think having McGinn and Nakamba in front of that defensive line will have given the strikers a lot more confidence to go up and and kind of play aggressively because they knew they could trust McGinn and Nakamba behind them to, to shield the defensive line so it's good to see so much structure that is working the right way and working as it should and everyone knows their roles in that so even even against the game last night you know Villa looked structured even in a defeat so if that can carry on through each game now and progress and improve then I think Villa have every chance of, of edging back towards the top half of the table. Yeah one thing I noticed not so much last night, but from where I was sitting at, at Palace, because I, I usually sit behind the goal whenever I'm at a game, so it was a different vantage point for me. Cash and Target were bombing right up when Villa were on the attack, but when they would go, they'd both go at the same time, but two central midfielders on the outside, McGinn and Ramsey, they would they were covering off the wide place, and McGinn was basically man-marking Zahar quite a lot of the time. I thought that was quite interesting. It's, it's exactly the same as, as Rangers were working um, in in big games against Celtic in European games um, against lower against inferior opposition. Rangers typically tended to dominate possession. I think they averaged something like sixty eight to seventy percent possession, um, you know, for obvious reasons, but. When they played against the big teams, they they tended to become a little bit more solid defensively, and that was certainly one of the uh, one of the uh, systems that they used when the full uh, when the fullbacks got forward to Verney and Barisic, um, the midfielders would drop in and, and and cover. So that's certainly what we're seeing already at Villa. Um, they're using almost that Christmas tree formation, isn't it? The the four three two one, where the wide players that we that we that we knew typically as wide players, young. Um, El Ghazi when he came on, Buendia and uh, and Baylor, they tend to play, t- you know, as number ten inverted wingers, um, and it just blocks off the middle of the pitch. It just th- there's a motto that that, that Richard, uh, sorry, that Michael Beale uses, and it's own the own the middle of the pitch, um, and and clearly Villa have, have tried to do that so far. So it's interesting, and 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 and, and I like what they're trying to do. I think that it will work, especially against the um, the lower ranked teams in the Premier League. And I'm I'm at the point now where I feel this Villa team will start to win more games than they'll lose. And 
that's a big thing because having lost five on the bounce under Dane Smith at the end of his reign, it didn't look like it was ever going to be that way. And a big thing across the two, well, across the three games so far for me, Holly, is, is the improvement in the central midfield both ways. Stephen Gerrard's talked about the distances between the midfield and the defence and the midfield and the attack. But the individual performances, anyone that's played has been much, much improved. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like Greg said, that that Christmas tree formation has worked well for Villa. And I think in that midfield, for, it's, for some reason, it's already kind of clicked into place in terms of the rotations between covering defensively or covering slightly higher up the pitch midfield as well. So I think this is probably the best we've seen John McGinn and, and, and Nakamba kind of work together so well in the midfield so far and you've had Watkins and, and Jacob Ramsey drop back to help cover the even McGinn and, and Nakamba in the times that they've needed to as well so and I actually think Buendia's kind of really started to find his feet under this uh, kind of new format that Gerard's implementing um, last night personally I think was Buendia's arguably best game so it's kind of just up and up I think in terms of the more time this kind of formation and, and this structure has it can like Greg said only get better and we'll start seeing more positive consistent results. Yeah, and talking of positivity, let's talk about last night then, fresh in all our minds, Greg. I would say that was a, a positive defeat. I saw a tweet last night, someone saying they'd, they've not walked out of Villa Park feeling so positive after a defeat before, and I, I would go along with that. You know, I, I said plucky at the, the, the start, but Villa really, really, from 2-0 down, could have taken a point off Manchester City last night. It was spirited, wasn't it? That's how I described it. And um, in the story that I've written today, this morning, about the game last night, that the that the first couple of paragraphs centered around Stephen Gerrard's mood in in the press conference after the game and he was as he was as buoyed as you'll ever see you know it felt like that they'd just gone and won the game it was because two weeks into the job he's seen his villa side take on a manchester city side obviously the champions of england and and a team's you know exceptionally um high in talent and he's and he's had them running scared in the second half the first half was a joke i thought it was I thought it was going to be four or five nil. I, I was really, really concerned for Villa, but the second, the second half, they clearly showed a good reaction. They tightened up a little bit. The the distances between midfield and defence were much shorter. Um, they didn't get caught on the counter attack too much. Perhaps that was because Man City had, had, had got the lead, and, and Pep Guardiola tends to, um, you know, protect the victories at times now rather than continuing to go all out attack. But I just think as as brilliant, and, and it was absolutely sensational, the second goal for Man City, as brilliant as it was for them, there were some defensive errors in there for Villa. First of all, they should have um, either won the ball back higher up and, and not let Mares and Cancelo play out from the back the way they did. But if they didn't win it back, they should have broke up the game. Um, and, and took a, took a foul, you know, took one of those ones for the team where it just slowed them down and allowed the players to come back and get back into the shape. And third and form, and, and third, thirdly, if, if they didn't do any of those, I think they still could have marked up better around the halfway line. You know, Mings and Konza were a little bit caught out. Cash was high up, um, and it was just that ball round to Jesus, and, and uh, you know, that opened it up. Brilliant cross and, and, and an unbelievable finish. I described it as one of the best goals I've ever seen live, and you know I think I, I still stand by it today. I was I was in awe of it for so long. I was talking to the people around me in the press box, thinking I just can't get over this goal. It was absolutely fantastic from from Cancelo's headers, um, the, the way Mares wriggled away from I think it was Louise and, and Buendia. For Fernandinho's brilliant pass and an absolutely stunning finish. I think Bernardo was looking at it, thinking this ball's coming over to him now. Might as well just hit it. 
and and it was such an unbelievable finish. You know, side footed volley. Martinez had no chance and I just thought wow what an unbelievable goal but when you look back through it Villa could have done a lot better and I think that's one of the areas where Gerard will be looking to improve on but overall a brilliant performance Yeah he spoke about that goal in, in his post-match with the, with the club media Gerard he wasn't happy with the defending but Holler, like Greg says everything Manchester City did there was just pinpoint exquisite they didn't do a thing wrong everything was bang on accurate and the finish from Bernardo Silva was just sensational and and, and they're the standards you know, they're the standards that we want Villa to get to one day but Manchester City are an unbelievable team and that, that just showed how good they are yeah I mean the Premier League winners the Champions League finalists that kind of winning those kind of games is expected of them so like you said they were they were pinpoint with everything they did in, in that game and I'm one of those fans who, I don't know if anyone else is the same, but if if you concede two good goals or a really good goal that, that is the difference between your side and, and the opposition, I almost can't be mad at it. As soon as that silver goal hit the back of the net, I was like, I can't even complain because like Greg said, the cross by Jesus, the first touch finish, like it's just, it hands down has to be up there probably for goal of the season already. And we're not even halfway through the campaign. So I, I, yeah, I, I mean, frustrated at losing like you would be, but, Man City showed how clinical they are as a team and how they're one of the best in the world. So I think the fact that Villa managed to pull it back to 2-1 and still show that determination to try and get at least a point shows a lot about Villa's determination and and where they want to be, like you've just said, Dan. So again, congratulations to City because for me that shows that they're they're very much in the race to win the Premier League once again. You know a goal is good if the whole end are clapping it. I clapped it, but there was yeah. quite a lot of people in the whole end that clapped that goal. Unbelievable. And Bernardo Silva was unbelievable all night and has been unbelievable every time I've watched Manchester City this season. I mean, Salah will get the PFA Player of the Year, but Bernardo Silva's been the best player to watch this season for me. He's incredible everywhere for Manchester City. But you know, Villa worked hard in that second half. I think I tweeted at half-time, Greg, that Manchester City were on a different planet to Villa in the first half. Second half, not really. No, they weren't. You know, it was a good fight and a great start to get that, get that set-piece goal. Austin McPhee's back in our good books. I saw Louise run straight over to him to celebrate with him for the goal because it was Louise that put put the corner in. It was a nicely worked routine again. And, you know, maybe people thought Austin McPhee might end up leaving when Gerard came in, but so far, playing a decent part again. Yeah, t- attacking attacking set pieces are, are working well again for Villa, aren't they? They've scored a couple now in, under the Gerard reign. And um, uh, G- Gerard spoke positively about Austin McPhee, you know, said that, said that his qualities will help Villa through. Um, they spend a lot of time on set pieces in, in the week, certainly when they have a full week, um, you know, the, the, the recession's laid on to to give Villa that advantage. I thought they were a threat all night. Well, especially in the second half, I thought they were a threat from from um, from set pieces, corners, throw-ins, uh, free kicks. And that's going to be a difference against these big teams because if you can score from set pieces, I mean, look, you know, any goal any goal is good, obviously, but if you can score from a set piece... It keeps you in the game and it, and it showed with Villa. They scored the goal at the perfect time. And as I said earlier, they, they did have them running scared a little bit, Man City. I could not, I think I can only name one or two chances they had in the second half. Martinez really didn't have much to do, did they? But so it was it was it was Villa as the aggressors. I thought they were they were really trying hard to to break through the middle again, get players forward. I thought Watkins had the best game and under Gerard for sure, held the ball up superbly. Um, and Buendia, as Holly mentioned earlier, probably had his best game in a Villa shirt as well. Still not quite there for me. Still needs to do, to do a little bit more. Bailey the same, who, who's going to be out now for a while with a, with an injury. That That's a blow. Um, because it's my understanding that he was starting to look good in training. But it, it, again, just another setback. But 
Buende is still available and, 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 and that's going to be a positive, I think, because against, it's tough coming up, Liverpool, Leicester, um, and, and then back to his old club, Norwich. But I think he's starting to show signs that there's a player there. Yeah, he'll get over the games now, you, you would think. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's good to see Watkins back in the goals as well, two and three under Steven Gerrard, because he hadn't been prolific so far this season, but he's, he's looking sharp again and to find the back of the net twice in the last three games, well, two home games in a row. That is a positive. Yeah, massively. When Watkins scored that goal, my friend over in America, he's a Spurs fan, and he texted me and was like, Watkins is disgusting. Is that a compliment? It is, it is. Okay. It, for people my age, that's a compliment. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's tell um, Greg he's disgusting later on in the podcast and see if he takes <laughs> it as a compliment. <laughs> um, and we kind of do that to kind of compliment each other's uh, teams every now and then. And it kind of reminded me how how much of a good player and a good striker Watkins is. And when he's on his best, you know, he can score any kind of goal like that, whether that be headed or, or running through um, between the defenders. So hopefully he can keep that form going because, um, like mentioned, we do have a tough run of fixtures ahead um, in the lead up to Christmas. So Watkins, I think, will be will be key for us in terms of getting a, a late equaliser or even scoring a couple of winners Um and I also uh, have to praise, in my opinion, uh, could have made all the difference in getting a late equaliser. Carney Chukwemka, unbelievable performance, I thought, when he came on the pitch. And perhaps he gets more of a look in into the starting eleven with, with Bailey out injured as well. Are you surprised to see him come on, Greg? Because Al Ghazi's come on to good effect in the last two games in that kind of position. I thought he was a bit hard done by Al Ghazi not, not getting on the pitch and... You know, Chukwemeka's eyes would have lit up when he was through on goal on his left foot. If he just managed to get a little bit more power in it, he probably would have had his first goal in front of the whole end. But were you surprised to see him given the chance over El Ghazi? Because like I say, there'd been an impact from him in the last two games off the bench. Uh, yes and no. I, was, I wasn't surprised that he was called upon because I, I know that Gerard wants to have a closer look at all of his players. So last night, you know, he had a look at Chukwemeka, had a look at Sanson as well. He came off the bench. So I think it's still quite an early period for Gerard, and he wants to see what his players can produce in a game that I think that was more of the thinking I was surprised more more that Chuck Romeka came on ahead of Ramsey rather than El Garza. I thought Ramsey would be the, the, the one to come on and, and try and make an impact he's got a few knocks Ramsey I think he said after the game right okay sorry I wasn't aware of that he was on the bench though yeah yeah he just says he's nursing a couple of injuries oh okay perhaps that was the reason why then I didn't I didn't wasn't aware of that um but yeah, I mean, look, you know, it just show, shows his faith that, that he's got in him. You know, you would have seen him in training in, in the two weeks, seeing what he can do. Um, he's an attacking, creative midfielder. 
there's a lot of noise around him at the moment. We, we, you know, with media reports saying that he's not going to sign a new deal. I've I've tried to put some clarity on that and and and, and explain where we were at. There's 18 months to go, so there's absolutely no rush for him to sign a new deal. He won't sign a new deal until he starts playing a lot of football because there are other clubs out there that will promise him minutes. Um, I've, I've said that in, in many previous reports, but Stephen Gerrard was asked about it last night and he said, well, if there's anybody who thinks that um, that, that Carney's not going to be at this, this club in the future, then I'd, I'd like to have them in front of me right now and talk about it. Um, he's confident that Chutumeka will get the minutes that he'll score and assist a lot of goals for Aston Villa and that he'll be a long-term part of the future. So it's interesting to see what will happen with him. But his chance last night was the big chance. For somebody who there's been a lot of noise around for an 18-year-old, if you're that good, you've got to put those chances away. And if he'd have put it either side of Edison, it would have been a goal. But just it just hit it straight at him and that could have been the difference. He kind of popped up from nowhere. I didn't notice him, and suddenly he was he was just through on goal. But there was again, I think because of the distances. I mean, we sound like Stephen Gerrard because he's obviously something he spoke about, and we keep using it ourselves. But because the players are playing close together, you're getting a more intricate short passing, which we weren't seeing from Villa before. So you, you're seeing people link up in a way that perhaps we haven't seen from Villa in the last few years because of those distances. Well, that's what they've been working on specifically in training. You know, there's five attacking players and then you've got the two fullbacks bombing on in, in target and, and cash. So at times there's seven players going forward um, and, and they're all loose, they're all linking up loosely and and, and, and closely and, it, and it's working well and it's exciting. And I think because there's a lot of pace in midfield now, um, you know, with Buendia bombing on, with Bailey coming through, with Cash, with Cash moving into central areas, I think, and Ramsey at times. I think what Villa are trying to do now is is carry the ball better. Since Jack Grealish left, and, and I presume we'll get onto him at some point and, and his involvement last night. But since he's left, there's not really been anybody who can carry the ball well. I think Watkins tries it, but often loses it a little bit too much. And in the first half yesterday. Villa were getting into decent areas in the final third, but the final pass was killing them. There was a couple of opportunities where Buendia misplaced a pass, where I think Bailey ran through it and missed a, pl- a pass, which was the worst of the lot. And it's just needing a little bit of fine-tuning. It, for, for me, it's exciting times. I, I can see what Villa are trying to do. They're, they're, they're becoming exciting to watch again. They just need that bit of fine-tuning and, and that will come with time with the manager. It will come on to Grealish, but can someone talk to me about the late penalty shot? Because I've got absolutely no memory of it whatsoever. No, neither have I. There was one at each end and I was slightly surprised that the cash one didn't get given. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Mike Dean when he referees Aston Villa, but uh, we will do- uh, move away from that. Um, yeah, Konza had a strike of the ball. As he tried to take the shot, he was tackled from behind, I believe, from Ake. And in my opinion, it, it should have been a penalty because Ake doesn't get to the ball. Konza definitely wins the ball. And I think it actually stops him his shot being on goal. Um, so I, I'm not even... The only thing I'm not sure of is if VAR actually reviewed it. I know that Mike Dean was very quick to make his decision while the Villa players ran over and screamed in his face. So, uh, yeah, in my opinion, it, it should have been a penalty. Why can I not remember that? Hey, sir. And yeah. Absolutely no memory of whatsoever. Obviously, it was a late, late night and up early doing the podcast this morning, but I cannot remember that moment of the game. It's always weird that Greg can't remember no, it. No, I'm starting to think it didn't happen. I think if you watch it back, I, I genuinely think you'll think it's a penalty. I mean, I'm surprised that it wasn't. I really think it obstructed his chance of making a shot. Oh, that's going to annoy me. I have to, I have to watch that one back. Yeah. I don't want to be annoyed. Yeah, it's devastating. Okay, interesting. Well, Greg and myself will go back and, and look at that. And we'll let you know next week whether we thought it was a penalty or not. Let's finish the Man City game then on Jack Grealish's return to Villa Park. Greg, 
bit of an emotional game for him, emotional game for his family. I know some of his family were there last night and a mixed reception. Actually, better reception than I than I thought it was going to be. I, w- I went on Premier League TV yesterday before the game, and they asked me about what reception Grealish would get, and I said, "You'll get a bad one." And I couldn't believe it; couldn't understand it. I mean, I would never ever give him a bad reception. I, I was always going to clap him. I think he did an unbelievable amount for the football club, and I understand why he left because he wants to play in the Champions League, and Villa aren't going to be doing that for a few years. So I get it, but he, he kind of I felt like. His reception, he, he grew as the game went on. It was quite bad at the start. And then by the end of the game, when he came up to the, the four different stands, there was more cheers than booze. Yeah, my thought was that he was going to get applauded before and after the game. And I could totally understand if, if Villa fans were a little bit frosty with him during the game. Because look, they're, they're all in it together. They're trying to get an advantage over Manchester City. And if that means getting under Jack Grealish's skin a little bit, then, then so be it. You know, I'm all for that. Although I don't think abuse from the stands has ever really particularly bothered Grealish in the past. I think he kind of thrives off that. So um, I, I watched him when he when, when he came out for the warm-up and there were a lot of people, a lot of supporters around by me standing to wait to see him come out. And the, the people that were that were keenly, intently looking at the pitch were waiting to clap him. But when he came out, the majority of people around me started clapping but there were a few boos from 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 around the stands, and I thought mm, I, I kind of expected that. When he came on, the boos were louder, purely because there were more people in in the ground, of course. But I thought I think it was quite clever of of the Villa supporters to sing, you know, "I'm Villa till I die." I thought I think that was a that was a very passionate message. It was it was loud from as them, well. and, and and everybody got involved with it. You know, that was the loudest chant of the night. They were all singing that. Um, and continued to sing that. So if Jack Grealish didn't get the message when he was coming on, he certainly would have in the final few minutes because Villa continued to sing that song. At the end, I thought it was a nice touch from him to go round and, and applaud all four stands. Yeah, he's going to get some booze by, by some people, but I think the majority of them applauded him and, and recognised what, what he did for the club. And if you can't recognise what he did as for the club as a Villa fan, then I'm not sure where else you can go because... The, in the modern era, he's done more for the club than any player. So, are you going to boo every single player that leaves in the future? For, for those well, who that has happened, to be honest, I was trying to think booed. of someone that's come back and hasn't got booed, and I couldn't really think of any. Milner's the only one I can think of. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at it at, the, at this weekend. Michael Brighton's going to come back with Leicester City, and he's going to get a hero's welcome. Now, the, the situation was a slightly different with him. His contract expired. If Villa had have offered him a, a contract or not taken so long to offer him a new contract, he would have stayed. But he went to Leicester, earned more money, won the Premier League. These things happen in football. And if the best football club in, in, in the country had come calling for Michael Brighton at the time, I'm pretty sure he would have gone too. And the Villa fans would have probably started to boo him then. So it, it's mad, isn't it, how, 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 how football is. I'm all for the, the all-in-it-together ethos, the... Um, you know the siege mentality and all that, and, and I get that, but there, there are just—it's just a little bit short-sighted for me if you boo him because of what he's done for the club. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what Michael Brighton gets at the weekend and and, and how he can compare the two. Yeah, someone said to me last night that they—I I was saying that I understand what why he left. I get it. Wanted to play in the Champions League. Wanted to work with Pep, play with De Bruyne. I could I could understand it. And uh, someone said to me, "Yeah, but he left just as we were getting good," and I kind of thought. Well, we finish eleventh. You know that's miles away from Champions League. If you're if you're a world class player, 
I mean, I'll probably get a pan for this. If you're a world-class player and you want to be playing in the Champions League, you know, a team finishing 11th, that's miles off it, miles off where you want to be. And just because you're a Villa fan, Hollow, you want to test yourself against the, against the best. So I fully understand it. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I get that there's always going to be people up, people on both sides. But the highlight for me was when he was, he came out kind of last out the subs. I don't know whether you, this was shown on, on telly, Hollow. He's walking down and he stepped into the dugout and he missed the step and felt tripped up and fell, fell over. I don't know whether anyone saw I that. Didn't see, it was quite uh, I didn't see that. All eyes were on him, and he tripped up getting into the dugout. Oh dear. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same. I, I don't think he should have necessarily been booed. I think at the right time, like Greg said, to kind of psych him out might have been useful. Although I yeah, think boom on the ball. Yeah, although I don't think, um, like we said, that would necessarily bother him so much. If anything, he'd thrive off of that. So, for me, uh, you know. Once the season's over, a player has to be selfish in their decisions and, and think about what's best for them in their career and going forward. And Grealish is ready now to be playing at the highest, highest level possible. So, you know, the movement was at the right time. And I, whenever a Villa player leaves now, and especially if it's someone who's so important to the team and, and makes that kind of step up to a, to a better team or a team that's competing more competitively in different uh, tournaments... Nothing will ever be as bad as the as the Delft situation, who like pledged his allegiance to to the club and dedicated to being a captain. Grealish never said at the end of the season and going into the Euros, "I'm here to stay. I will be here for the next five years." You know, that's the whole reason, part of the reason why he had the the clause in his contract. So he did sign a contract though for five years. He, he did. The club did use him for the my club, my city thing, but I guess that's not his fault. No, and I think also the five years thing. It's it's the club being clever in terms of getting the most financially out of him when he does go. So. You know they wouldn't have got that much money if he'd assigned only a two-year deal. So I think that's probably why a little bit why fans are still a little bit bitter as well because, like I did, probably thought we've definitely got one more season in him to to help us get to European football. But you know ultimately he made that decision to go ahead of time. I guess if he stays though, Greg, and then we quite qualified for Europe, let, let's say it's then going to be, oh, you should give us an, give us another season because we're in the Europa League. But that's not where he wants to be. He wants to be in the Champions League. And you watched City last night and he's playing in an incredible team, albeit he probably only played for about five minutes. Yeah, yeah. And look, he, he, I thought he did well when he came on. He, Pep Guardiola was asked about you know his performance, albeit only four or five minutes. But he did everything that was asked of him. You know, He helped see the game out. He held up the ball well, blinked up play. Um, run down the clock. Typically, what we what we've seen him do for Villa in the past. Um, and and look, a football career is so short. It's it's difficult for for supporters who who go every week and 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 literally are as they sang Villa till till they die. For footballers, it, it's just simply not the case. It's a different kind of love. Jack Grealish will always love Aston Villa, but not in the way that that supporters do who who go and sit on the whole end every week. But there are, there are people that say that. He was motivated more by the money and, and moved by the money. Yes, the money was appealing, but it was it was to go and get success. It was to go and play in the Champions League, to to, to become a regular in the, in the England team. He's twenty six years old, and, and there are young players coming through in his position in in for the England team now who, who are seriously threatening his place. And perhaps if he was at Villa, he he, he might not have got the recognition that he de- that he deserved it. He certain, we certainly thought that, didn't we, in the past, that Gareth Southgate wasn't playing him because he hadn't played elite-level football. And, and for those who, who question the money situation, I mean, the, the, the increase in his wage is incredible. I mean, if I said to any supporter on the Holt end, for example, well, I'll give you, you'll get £20,000, but you can't go to the game on Saturday. What, what do you think they'll do? You know, that they won't go to the game, the majority of them. They'll take the £20,000, so... 
you know, that that's just that's just a way of looking at it. In all walks of life, if you get a job promotion, you typically tend to take it, no matter how happy you are at the club. Also, if you'd have stayed at Villa, he'd have got a massive pay increase from the wage he was on at Villa as well. So it's not about money because he could have got a lot of money at Villa. Still wouldn't have been anywhere near the, the money he's on at City, though. So, you know. Let's move on from Jack anyway. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Holly, there was a couple of interesting stories featuring Villa women's players this week. Hannah Hampton was a spectator as England women won 20-0 unbelievable result. I don't think I've ever seen a 20-0 anywhere. A a rugby score, you would say, that one. Talk us through it. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk of it uh, on social media and The Athletic actually put up a piece kind of analysing the ways in which there could not be so many cricket scores in in the women's game on the international stage. But yeah, it's it's one of those where like, obviously England are looking to build on confidence and score goals and and Serena Wiegmann is looking to find who she wants in her starting 11 ahead of the Euros on home soil next year. Latvia weren't weren't great, hence the score, um, and England put on a very dominant performance. I was actually really kind of gutted that Viegman didn't use one of her subs to bring on a goalkeeper that, you know, could at least just get their first cap. Granted, they wouldn't have had to do much in the game. Um, I think it would have been nice for any Villa fan to see Hannah Hampton come on and, and make her debut. So it's one of those. Um, Kelly Smith also did a really nice uh, piece on Ellen White breaking, becoming England's new all-time record goal scorer as well, which you can check out on the Athletic website if you're interested. So... A good, a good kind of week for women's football in terms of England showing how dominant they are on the international stage. Yeah, Hannah Hampton did a, a pre-match press conference. Let's hear a chunk of that interview with Hannah Hampton right now. So I was born um, with a squint. I had multiple operations when I was younger to try and correct my, my eyes and it's never been fully repaired. I mean, I can go back to have operations right now, but I've always delayed it because of... I don't see the need. I've, I've, 
I'm here for a reason, so it's obviously not affecting me in, in that kind of way, but um, I have no depth perception, so I can't judge distances. So being a keeper doesn't really make a lot of sense, but, but you know, it, it's, it's turned out for the best, I think. If I'm overly tired, you will notice it. I'll have a lazy eye. It will start wandering, and you just have to correct it. And hopefully no one notices. Um, but even just pouring a glass of water. Um, if I'm not holding the cup itself, I will miss the jug, and it will be spilt all over the side. I've done that a few times now. And I, I, did, I did say this, and unbelievable story for a goalkeeper. She's got no depth perception. Yeah. That, that feels like something you might need as a goalkeeper to me. I'm no expert, but honestly, that feels like something that's quite vital. So fair play to her for having the career that, that she's having, because that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the interview is amazing, and, and she's very honest and open about the fact that she doesn't have any depth perception. And I'm the same as you. I, I have normal eyesight, and I can barely see where which direction the ball's going in. So how on earth she's able to make so many saves and so many amazing saves that she does and, and having such a good season for Villa already just makes her kind of level of, of performances so much more impressive. And I definitely think she's going to become England's number one in, in the next few years as well. Yeah, I've been really, really impressed by her this season. She's probably the one that's impressed me most out of the, the Villa women's side, to be honest. It's just the step up in terms of, of ability. I mean, she, she's unbelievable in goal. So, so quick. Great reactions, great shot stopper. She's going to have a marvellous career. Now, before we talk about what Global Greg's been writing about, it's worth saying that Aston Villa women's defender Anita Asante has written a column for The Athletic this week about a worrying upturn in incidents of racist abuse. It's a guest column from Anita, so if you haven't checked that out yet, go and do so because it's a fascinating read. Christian Perslow has been in the media as well, Greg, hasn't he? Mixed reaction to his stint on TalkSport, but then a very, very good in-house interview with the club media. Do you watch both of those, hear both of those? Yeah, heard both of those, uh, read some of the reaction in, in, in national newspapers and, and in The Athletic as well about um, his conversation with, with Simon Jordan and co on TalkSport. Um, I mean, I'd like to focus on the on the Villa interview because for me, I thought that was a really, really impressive interview. And I think for Villa supporters, they, they want to know more from Christian Perslow about Aston Villa rather than, you know, nationwide matters. Um, and and he's impressive. his interview was very, very impressive. You know, he, he tackled the key issues that are facing the club at the moment, the, you know, the, the transport issues around the stadium. Supporters want to know what's happening with the capacity um, and, and a potential extension of Villa Park. He, he, he addressed that. Um, the, the change in the in the ownership's name and, and, and how Villa are uh, planning to move into global markets and link up potentially with feeder clubs. Every time he speaks on, 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 on the Villa channel, I, I, I like listening to him. He really speaks passionately about Villa. He believes that Villa are one of the biggest clubs in the world, doesn't he, by the way he talks and, and the potential that they've got and, and, and how they should be striving for greatness. Um, and, and and it's just exciting. I just think it's it's such an exciting time to be a Villa fan because the owners are so committed. Christian Perslow fights really hard for the club um, and wants to, wants to make this club a better club. So, yeah, I was impressed with it. And I was impressed with your piece earlier on in the week about Aston Villa's youngsters coming through. A good read. Greg, 50 scouts at the Charlton game. Greg, can you just talk about why they were there? Yeah, well, it was the same against MK Dons as well. I think there was 55 scouts there. You know, 55 different clubs were represented looking at... Uh, the likes of Keane and Davis uh, and, and obviously Connie Chukwemeka back against MK Dons. But at the Valley on yeah Tuesday night, 
Villa, Villa, Villa were again impressive, the under-21s against a very senior Charlton team. I mean, you know, the midfield, uh, the Charlton midfield consisted of Ben Watson and, and Harry Arter, two experienced players who have played in the Premier League before. And I thought Bogard and, and Timmy Rugbuna, um handled them very well and, and performed very well themselves. But the scouts were looking mainly at the attacking players, Carney, uh, Cameron Archer, Jaden Filler, Jean Bidace, Finley Thorndike played quite well as well, and uh, and and Caleb Chukwemeka has attracted a bit of interest as well. So I'm expecting quite a few of those to move in January. There's a full roundup um, and a lot more details on the Athletic explaining each individual case. Aaron Ramsey's another one who hopes to return to full fitness before the end of January, and he definitely will be looking for a move as well um, out on loan. We've seen his brother go, his brother Jacob moved to, to Doncaster, didn't we? And, and that kick-started his career. Aaron needs that move now. He needs to go and play men's football because I think he's outgrown Premier League too, um, as of some of the others. So it'll be interesting to see if they get the moves and 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 and, and how Villa decide to, you know, which ones they allow to go out. Without giving too much away from your article, Greg, has Gerard been impressed by the younger players? Yeah, he's had a closer look at them. He, he went to the first under twenty three game. He, he liked the look of Philip Jean Bidace. Um He was very close to the first team under Dean Smith, wasn't he? But just the amount of wingers and, and attacking players Villa have got, um, it's just hard for these young youngsters coming through. But yeah, there's a couple of, of them who have impressed. Timmy Rugbunam in midfield, somebody who has uh, trained a fair bit as well. Um, but they're very, very young. You know, the 16, 17, 18-year-olds, they're, they're going to get the chance eventually, but it's just about giving them training time first and then seeing how they do out on loan. Yeah, and just briefly, Holly, your hex has moved away from the women's team and the men's team, but you've put it on the under-21s, knocked out the cup on your watch. Stop bringing my hex up because I think the more you bring it up, the more it actually becomes a thing. So I'm going to pretend like nothing's happened. We've seen the men's team and the women's team win now since joining the podcast, so that's that's fine by me. Aston Villa suffering at every level since you've joined 1874, Holly. Let's finish with the top three then. And this week we're doing the top three Villa loans and apparently both in or out qualify. So Holly, we'll come to you first. Who have you plumped for? Uh, mine are all in. Um, would you like just one now or go uh, big and we'll, we'll, we'll do one each. We'll do one each. We'll do one each. I've actually got five. I... Oh, well, that wasn't. That's not a top three, is it? That's a top five. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure, if my memory serves correctly, Greg actually did a piece on top three signings or lo- best loan signings from Villa um, a year or so ago. If memory serves correctly, I'd be surprised if he even remembers that boring piece. <laughs> um, and so I think mine might be similar to that. Um, I'm going to pick for my first one as Snodgrass because I was obsessed when he was with us That's and I, I really pick. loved him. Um, something like 17 assists when he was with us and I think we were really unfortunate to not get promoted like because of how well he performed and how much he assisted Villa's uh, playoff final run. So he's definitely up there for me. Yeah, good player, Robert Snodgrass. Kind of player that comes in on loan and ingrains himself across the whole club. Got a soft spot for Villa still as well. I speak to him every now and again. Greg, who have you gone for? So you got your phone out with your notes. Jeez, there must be no, some serious, just must be some serious uh, loans in there. It's getting late in the day. Uh, Tyrone Mings, Tammy Abraham and James Milner. No, one I asked for. Oh, I thought we were going to say. Now who am I going to say? They've all gone now. Who am I, I going to say? <laughs> Simon Dawkins? No, who did you say? Tammy Abraham. Tammy Abraham, James Milner and Tyra Mings. You've left me with not a lot there. Sam Johnston. Robbie Keane. He was another one of mine. Yeah, I did, my, I did quite like. Yeah, I'll go Robbie Keane. Nice one. I liked Robbie Keane. He played six games. But I'd say in those six games, he was Villa's player of the season under Alex McLeish. 
<laughs> Honestly, he was so far ahead of anything else that played that season. I genuinely probably put him as the as the player of the season. So yeah, I'll go Robbie Kane. But yeah, Sam Johnson's an, a nice shout as well. He had a, he had a good season in goal for Villa. Now slumming it at West Bromwich Albion. That's it then for this week's edition of 1874. Just the one game this weekend, but it's an interesting one against Steven Gerrard's old manager, Brendan Rodgers, and it absolutely isn't a derby because West Midlands v East Midlands isn't a derby, even though all the Midlands teams seem to class Villa as a derby because we are massive. Let's hope we can get back to winning ways. Thanks to Greg and thanks to Holly and thanks to all of you out there for listening as well. And as ever, up the Villa. Athletic.